love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and my usual co-host, Haley Chura, is not with me this week because she is busy preparing for the Ironman World Championships happening next week in Kona. And don't worry, everyone, we have a very special guest to fill her chair um, on the podcast and help me preview the World Championships this week. And so I'm very happy to introduce, gosh... Ironman champion, um, Rachel Joyce, to be my co-host today. Rachel, welcome back to Iron Women. Hi, Alyssa. Thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk Kona with the women's race and um, kind of catch catch up with you too. Um, it's been a while. Yeah, it really has. And so I definitely want to know kind of what you've been up to. I still, I follow you on Strava. And so I know that you are active. I think you're mountain biking sometimes. You're running a little bit here and there. Um, I think sometimes you take the kiddos out. So I guess like in terms of, um, yeah, like exercise wise, how has life been? I know you've even, you know, raced some ultras in the last few years and things like that. So how are things going? Um, yeah, good. I I am still staying active. I, I tend to just run now and I have these aspirations to get better on the mountain bike. Um, and then I'll do something and hurt myself and then I take a break. But now I go out with the kids and they're just better than me because they have no fear. Like we're going around the bike park and they'll just go on everything. And I'm like, oh, that bridge looks like really narrow and steep. <laughs> and I, I swerve around it, but they go on it. Um, but yeah, I've really got into trail running. Um, and I, I find that I like, I, I really like going to events. Like I really like to like do a race. Um, uh, but I, I, I tend to not like specifically pre prepare for them. Um, so in 2024, I'm thinking like, I'll actually kind of really like go all in I, I did Leadville the 100 mile race two years ago and I'm kind of getting that itch to like really do the full preparation so I maybe not 100 miles but I think 100k sounds um pretty good and then um because then then you kind of get I get pulled into it you know I'm like oh do I want to do western states one day and then I was watching the UTMB and I was like that looks really cool so I think once you've got the bug like I'm a bit more moderate than I was in my professional days but I still uh, I love an event um, and training and getting outside and doing stuff. The, our listeners will have heard me talk about I think I went on for quite a while after the UTMB coverage about how I've like put it on and off my bucket list so many times. And then I definitely have it on right now because that race does look, and I don't know if you, you saw, but Emma Pooley actually raced it this year. Um, and then there's Lucy Bartholomew who will be racing in Kona as an amateur. Um, but she races professionally for Solomon for trail running stuff. She did UTMB and she's doing Kona now in a week. So it's been fun to kind of see how she will recover from that effort. And then, yeah face everything that the big island holds for her 
Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm I'm kind of with you with the UTMB because it's super, it's like really technical, which isn't really my strength. But um, I think it's like, it's what drew me to Kona, you know, it's the big one and it, you know, it's hard and that's all part of it. And I'm just wondering how many times I'm going to like face plant if I do it. <laughs> <laughs> and there, I guess with UTMB, the thing is I've always been wishy-washy because you can always do one of those like four or five day tours around and yes. just do it at your own yeah. pace, do a more manageable distance every day. Lots of pastries and croissants. Like sometimes <laughs> I'm like, maybe that is just the way to do it. Um, yeah. And Rachel, I think you're also filling time now with some coaching, right? Yeah, I'm coaching um, under Julie's JDC banner, Julie Dibbins. Um, and there's, I think, five or six of us coaching with that, which I've really enjoyed. I When I, soon after I retired from professional racing, I coached just on my own and I kind of um, sought out Julie. I kind of wanted to have that um have other coaches to talk to and I think there's a real uh value to that to like sharing knowledge and experience and if you come across something that's a bit tricky you know you can kind of knowledge share with everyone else and there's um really good coaches who happen to be athletes as well who coach Dee Dee Breeze Bowers there um Lauren Brandon um uh Katie Kime who also used to, she raced a year as, as a professional and um we let one guy in Call Matty's Barney. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have someone to keep it, keep it uh, you know, low level, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, how yeah, would people... fun. and then I also um I've really loved coaching the kids at um the school my eldest Archie goes to, and I've been coaching the track and field and the cross country, and um it's just a blast and it's out of control. There's kind of like 45 <laughs> of these kids that I'm like, how do teachers do it? <laughs> and do they have any idea? Like, does Archie go in there and he's like, hey, guys, you know, my mom is like pretty good at this stuff. Um, well, sometimes he'll like fact check, like, mom, what did you do? And he'll like be like, was that for your age or was that... <laughs> Was that all women? <laughs> but honestly, the kids don't care. They're like, you know, they've got their own motivations, but it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And so if someone is interested in talking to you about coaching, should they, you know, reach out to you directly or through JD crew? How do you how does this um either works? Yeah, you can um reach out like under any I'm I'm not super active on social media but um you can dm me on that or go to the JDC website um and get in touch through through that cool okay yeah. um well kind of in the vein of coaching we do have a mailbag question if you're up for answering that um, yeah. with me and as a reminder people can send in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and so this week we got a question from Adrea and she's wondering about nutrition after a race. She says she's not doing, she's not racing at the pro level, but she does the local 10 K and an occasional half Ironman and doesn't recover well as others after these races. So she's wondering if she needs to do more from a post-race nutrition standpoint. And she's moved to taking protein shakes with her when it's possible to have after the race and has no problem diving into the bagel bites and things supplied by the race. That's always a treat. Um, but she's wondering if we do anything special to get in nutrition quickly after a big race. And Adrea, we will pass her along your good luck wishes to Haley too. Um, but 
Rachel, what, what do you do after what, or what did you do? What do you do now? Yeah. yeah. Like, has that changed, I guess, like from. Do you know, I was much better as a professional just because it was part of my job and I, um, but it's actually something that I review because I uh, was finding I wasn't recovering so well and I'd get really tired. And I, I would say to Andrea, like, don't just focus on what you have after you've exercised or raced, because a big factor for me is like thinking I'm going for a morning run, but then it's actually now nearly lunchtime and I've had breakfast, but I haven't eaten anything uh, because just because it got delayed so always making sure I've had something beforehand um and it can be small like even if you have a slice of toast with something or a bit of yogurt a banana I think that's really going to help um limit will help you with the recovery afterwards and then if it's a 10k you're probably good you maybe take a gel during the race uh make sure you're hydrated as well and then after the race I think you she's um nailed it like protein shakes for me are like a lifeline because <laughs> yeah. you know like I I might have to because I'm often like squeezing shoehorning into a day but if I at least have a shake and I tend to like put a whole up if you know if if you're having the shake why not put a banana and some spinach and something else in because then it kind of bulks it out and you're getting like a decent amount and I think that will help with re- recovery but it sounds like if Andrea is like eating afterwards maybe another focus is to make sure she's eating something beforehand so that she doesn't get you know she's starting with some fuel and not getting too depleted so that she's kind of on catch up for the rest of the day um I think that would be a good thing and then making sure that it's not just the protein shake you know then have a proper meal um and hydrate afterwards because I think sometimes you can be a bit dismissive and say oh it's only a 10k but if you're going hard that's like a whole bunch of whole bunch of energy that you're using up yeah sometimes I think those are like the hardest because it's like you're going harder than you maybe feel like you'd be running in the half Ironman or something right so yeah um definitely don't dismiss it based on on length and I I think that's great advice too and one thing I think about too is it's not always you know it's great to have the protein shake ready for right afterwards and stuff but you know your body's working hard especially if it's a half ironman to recover like for a day you know two days afterwards like you're you've kind of revved up your engine and yeah um so you know not even looking at it as okay just the meal afterwards will help me recover but like what i eat for the next few days is going Mm. to help replenish things i think is good and one thing too when i hear people say they don't recover as well after races is um, I think one tendency I see with a lot of athletes is to race and then not move. So this actually has nothing to do necessarily with nutrition, but good thing you can maybe check yourself on too is like, are you doing a recovery day, you know, active recovery day the day after? Um, I'm sure Rachel that, you know, as pros, it's like one of the funniest things to me is, you know, you would race an Ironman and I, would always be able to count on the day after Ironman, getting up, getting out on my bike and easy, easy spinning as much as you don't want to do that after an Ironman. And I would see like Laura Siddle, right out too. we'd be like waving like, oh, hi, you know, we're doing our recovery. And I think it's just something easy. If you could get in the pool the next day, if you could easy spin um, before you take a rest day. Uh, I see so many people do their goal race and then shut down and they're like, okay, I can, you know, celebrate and do a choice unstructured for a while. But that active recovery can be really important to feeling like you recover out of the effort. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I often, um, I know that, that with some of the athletes I coach, they're kind of like, they have the big weekend and they almost want Monday as their rest day, but I, I shift it to Tuesday for exactly that reason, like keep moving. Cause if you've had your long run on a Sunday, it's not going to feel good to then not move on the Monday, just like a little something to kind of flush your legs out really helps. And, and like you say, yeah, keep eating because it, it's the next day as much as the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, food is food is sleep and water, <laughs> the basics. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are feeling like you're not recovering, just try and up all of those. Right. Yes. And then yeah. <laughs> it will help. Um, yeah, exactly. but Thanks for the question. And yeah, people can keep sending in questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And then just a quick housekeeping for this week. We have um, feisty events happening all through the week in Kona for everyone who's lucky enough to be on the ground next week there. You can go to feistytriathlon.com slash Kona dash schedule. And that has the whole lineup of where the feisty team will be. I know I get in Wednesday and I'm going to be doing a live podcast recording, which is online only. So everyone could attend that um, Thursday, I think at 9 a.m. But there are events happening at the expo main stage, like Thursday is mental strategies for race day. There's the feisty fiesta. That sounds like a good time. So check the website and make sure you stop by, say hi to the feisty team. I think they have some free swag to give people and maybe some nutrition treats so definitely find them on the ground there and okay I think we are ready to dive into all things Ironman World Championship and Rachel you are a well-versed veteran of this race so you have raced on the big island many many times and I keep writing down and then not remembering where I've written it down to like check my notes but you're a three-time podium finisher in Kona right you've you were second two times third once and then fourth even I think right fourth fifth and six (laughs) (laughs) so I I kind of went six five four second third second (laughs) Okay. okay so I mean I feel like there really is no better person here to talk a little bit about Kona prep and things like that when I reached out to you about this you you did say like oh gosh the race has changed so much and it has but I do think one of the things we all love about the Big Island is that the Big Island kind of stays the same, right? So there have been some tiny course changes and things like that through the years, but conditions, um, you know, logistics, all of that kind of stuff stays the same on the Big Island. And so I'm very curious, um, you know, not really specific to this year's race, but did you have a favorite kind of Kona prep session that you would do for yourself leading in that would like you'd you know, really want to nail that one, or you just always did it for confidence or something like that? Um, I, I, I wasn't really specific, but I always really liked the kind of the long day. Um, so there'd be, I didn't always swim beforehand, but there'd be like a, a long bike kind of six, six or so hours, and then like a 90 minute runoff. Um, and it would be touching on race pace. And it was um, just a, good opportunity to a like get a long day in um and also uh really visualize and kind of key into that feeling of the Ironman effort um and it would usually be solo or like with one other you know so it kind of really replicated 
that you're kind of out there on your own when it comes to race day and being able to ride the highs and lows of that day. Um, that always was a good one for me. Oh, I like that aspect of having to do it mostly solo or all solo. Cause that is such a big mental hurdle. Sometimes that can be the hardest thing during the race. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, more than like doing an one actual session, it was kind of for me more the process of the overall preparation, which I kind of, because I would, my favorite kind of preparation for Kona was that I wouldn't really race beyond kind of early August. And you, this is where you see the different different personalities because some people like to get their confidence from getting in one more good Ironman or good 70.3. But I really built confidence from this uninterrupted block of training. So it was that long day was kind of the was just like a, a stepping stone in that process of just generally building and building um, my fitness during this kind of pretty uh, monodimensional <laughs> eight weeks or so of, of the year. And did you, you're, you live in Boulder now. I think you've been there for quite a while. So did you generally train for Kona in Boulder? Did you go somewhere to acclimate? Did you do a Kona camp? Um, I, I did a bit of both. I, um, I really enjoyed being in Boulder to train. Um, I sometimes mix, I, there was a year I went to Arizona. Um, I trained kind of just mm, like North of Scottsdale and that was really great. That was kind of, um, very like, it's a very simple block of my life because it was just Brett was out there Maggie our dog was a puppy and I kind of literally just trained ate and uh had a puppy (laughs) which always (laughs) helped um so that was good but I do I do like being at home and I I kind of didn't necessarily feel like I needed to I, I would go in the sauna and stuff but I I like the creature comforts of home and to prep um, and do the preparation there. And I also, um, I'm fairly, um, I'm a bit of an introvert. So the idea of doing a camp and being surrounded by, you know, being in a house with lots of other people probably just wasn't my bag. Maybe at a different point of different times of year, that was more like fun for me, but, mm-hmm. um, I almost felt like I was like getting fitter, but also like kind of saving my mental energy, mm-hmm to get on on the big island and so I had like a full cup by the time it came to to race day and it definitely I mean it worked for you right so that's one of the things too I think when you are consistently performing while there it's like you don't want to rock the boat too much I think yeah yeah I think so and I think um like definitely earlier on in my career, like when I started going to races, um, I think that the, my very first preparation was very much like I raced and then I just trained and it kind of set the template. And some years when I had to race for different reasons later, it actually um, unsettled me a bit. And definitely when I came back and like had this like racing marathon after having Archie to get there, I was like, yeah, this this isn't my bag. I don't want to be doing that many Ironmans ahead of. Ahead did of, you have to do four or five that year? I did. Well, I did three, but it was okay. like, uh, the, well, it was four including Kona, but they came right. Like okay, three and a half months of each other, or so. it's something ridiculous. That was um, yeah. <laughs> and so I, it, that was a good a good lesson in confirming that I preferred the other preparation. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I think, you know, one thing Haley and I heard from the women we talked to that we interviewed who were going to race, um, I feel like most of them, if not everyone, was really doing similar things, right? They had decided they, you know, they were like, you know what, I have everything at home, like figured out. It's easy. It's like I'm doing well here. So, and Haley included, I think, um, you know, I've been done this podcast with her for many years and like getting to see her builds as she she goes into that race. I think it was clear that this year she should just stay at home, right? She was getting fit, she was performing well, she was happy, like doing it all. And I think um I'm I'm interested to see a year when I, I don't think a lot of people did do a big effort to get there super early or do a Kona camp, you know, mm. how they all kind of come out of it. And I I tend to think that you know, going into the race in a mentally good place and fitness obviously is important is like, you know, the number one thing. Um, and if I think to your point, a lot of triathletes are introverted, they like their creature comforts, right? They like their routine. And so if that's what works, you know, I think go with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, there's, there's various theories because, you know, there was a time where people were going out to Kona a month before the race. And I, I think that still does happen. But um, I think you have to be so, so smart because you'd see some of some of those athletes absolutely nailed it. But some were just tired and a bit depleted because it's a harsh it's harsh conditions to race in and it's harsh conditions to do those peak weeks in, you know, like you're losing a lot of your electrolytes. It's It's hard to like keep eating when it's that hot and you know just yeah it's a real fine balance to to find if you're yeah, out there I mean you even used to see everyone in Tucson right and now it's like Tucson's even yeah. potentially too hot a lot of the time for the same reason so it mm -hmm. is kind of funny to see how that has evolved but um in terms of race dynamics this year and we did see a bit of it last year with the split races but there were still some men kind of on the course with the women last year so this year is very special. There will be no men's racing to get involved with the women's race. Um, and for our listeners, you know, when you are especially watching the pro race, that's super important because a lot of times if you have uh, waves of age group men um, or even the pro men starting ahead of the, the women, there are fast female swimmers who catch the slower pro men swimmers and kind of get mixed up in that side of it. And then on the bike, the top age group men would be able to bike into the kind of slower age or slower professional women swimmers and be involved that way to kind of help often bring some of the slower swimmers up. Even if, you know, they're riding legally and not technically drafting, there is a huge advantage when you're having, you know, thousands of people on the Queen K. The draft is still there, even at legal distance. So that kind of changed the race because you would see a lot of women in the slower swim packs getting brought up into into the mix more. Um, but you know, also, and even on the run, like I think of all the times in Ironman where you're solo running, but then there's like that one age group dude who's right running your pace and you're like, cool. Okay. Like I have that person. Right. So yeah. I think that's going to be kind of interesting too. Like you're not going to have as many, you know, opportunities for kind of distraction, um, out there. And I think that's going to really make a difference. Um, I think we've been seeing it making a difference as more women have women's only races and, and things like that. What do you, you know, you certainly did not have the luxury of a women's only race when you raced out there. Um, do you, I guess, yeah. Do you wish that you had been able to see it, like how it would have played out with the women you were contending with? 
yeah, I definitely, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not something I think about too much in terms of like, how would the race have been different? But I, there are definitely years where I remember like getting mixed up with either the slower pro men or the faster pro uh, age group men really impacting the race where, you know, penalties have been handed out to the top women pro. And Alyssa, I mean, you know that I had plenty of conversations with Ironman about this and being, Mm -hmm. you know, just, I I, um, have some (laughs) sympathy for the fact that they're trying to balance out like a lot of people out on the course, but it did sometimes feel like the women, the pro women's field just got a bit like, oh, well, you know, that's just how it's, that's what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's changed so much. I mean, the first year, the first years that I raced in Kona, it was the men and women together, the pro, you know, I'm swimming in this pack of men, like mm-hmm. clearly that changes the dynamic because I, probably had some of my easiest swims in my life and came out first woman in mm-hmm. really fast times. Um, uh, so, and, you know, I'd see strong, you know, it's, it's, there's no point in the kind of overanalyzing it, but definitely the really good bikers, they were good bikers, but they also benefited from being able to kind of pace off that the, the pro men's, field and I certainly did so I'm really excited I don't think the women are going to actually change their tactics but they can just be there's a real like freedom to knowing that everyone is out there in the same you know same situation and yes there are going to be groups in the women's race on the bike and there's going to be uh groups on the swim but it's the women it's just the people they're racing against and I think that's just awesome for women's sport and it really helps you as a person uh, as if as a competitor knowing that you know you're all under the same conditions so I think that's great yeah Yeah, I think as we get closer to we'll be able to see you know you can kind of predict more if it's supposed to be a particularly tough conditions day right then it will even play more into that because there will probably be you know more women's kind of bike plan will be to stay with a group, right? Not go out on their own, not, um, you know, try and fight the wind on their own, right? When they could be biking with a group that, so we might see a little bit more of that. And I think the conditions will heavily um, help kind of determine how that unfolds on race day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, often you don't even know that's going to happen until, till race day. And, you know, sometimes it's only around Harvey where you're like, okay, yep, I'm not going to pass here. I'm just going to tuck right in because that headwind such, you know, is, is brutal. Um, but yeah, I think the dynamics and just with the, the more women coming from the ITU, we have like uh, some super fast swimmers. You've got the X factor of Taylor Nib coming in. I just think it's going to be so exciting. And I know we'll come on to this later, but you're asking for like predictions. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> like how do you predict this? Like I have about 15 people potentially <laughs> on the podium. <laughs> I know it felt a bit like literally just like gambling when I made my own picks because I was yeah. just like, I, yeah, I mean, it could be any of these. Right. And so, um, yeah. it did feel a little bit like just a major gamble. Cause there were so many great people to pick from. And, um, there were, there have been some announcements of people who have said that they will not be lining up. We have Alice Alberts, who this is her first year racing pro. And I think she made, she kind of said, you know, I want more experience before I go mm-hmm. out 
and and race on the big island which i think she she just won ironman maryland um she won ironman lake placid earlier this year so i was kind of excited to see what she could do out there but i totally understand and i think you know she just raced an ironman so um yeah like to to your point from before, we don't need to force her into doing three Ironmans in three months, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a smart choice as well. And, you know, she can, uh, it's expensive to go out to Hawaii and um, it makes sense just to kind of get that extra year and other opportunities to kind of get prize purses and bonuses and then come back. Mm-hmm. I think she's got niece already in the in the bag, she had qualification. So she gets kind of pick and choose next year, which is great for her. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, then we have Meredith Kessler, who has said she won't be starting. Meredith had um, she'll, you know, tell anyone that Kona is like the the thing she hasn't quite found the key to unlock yet. But so I don't think uh, I'm hoping she will return to the big Island at some point once the race is back there so that hopefully she can have her day there, but we'll be watching to see where Meredith lines up this fall. Instead, uh, Minogene is not racing there. Otherwise we haven't seen too many announcements, but like you said, Taylor nib was the big question mark. And we did see that she, she is on the start list and has, I believe publicly said that she's planning to give it a whirl. Yeah. I mean, I I've heard, on the on the boulder grapevine and um and i know that usa triathlon has given the okay for her to to do it so uh i mean her mom her her mom is a an i wonder if she's been like i'm sure she's talked to lots of people but her mom has been to kona a few times she's probably watched it her do it so um you know she's getting advice from like what to expect i I guess. And um, it's exciting. Like she's on fire and she's definitely, you just never know. You never know with the first Ironman, what way it's going to go. Is it going to be the dream one or is it going to be like a learning experience? So, um, but she's so young and you just know with her strengths, she's definitely going to have her day in Kona, whether it's this year or in the future when she's kind of uh, done her thing at the ITU and Olympic distance level. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing with Taylor, too, is you always know after talking to her and just, you know, kind of getting a glimpse into her life that she has a really great team surrounding her. She um, has a lot of knowledge and wisdom around her to make sure, you know, she makes these decisions and is staying healthy and um, Mm -hmm. doing yeah, mentally even what's like best for for her. And so I think, yeah, she's excited to race. Let's just see her do it. I'm excited for that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I always think when I see these you know, like younger athletes getting into Ironman, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, like there's so many years of that like long. It's a long pain. I know that Olympic distance is like this short, intense, super, super hard. But um, uh, yeah, she's... we'll have to see. Yeah, what like yeah. what she, it'll be. I don't know. Maybe someone from the feisty team can get the the first post race interview with Taylor yes. to find out yeah. her initial reactions. Um. Rachel, in terms of kind of looking at how the day will play out, a lot of that, the stage is set in the swim. Um, And as you said, you know, it's no longer a mass start. It's no longer like a men and women and thousands, right? So the pro women will be going off on their own wave. Um, And from the swim this year, like I was looking at kind of swim prediction times. I was like, man, there could be a really big group of women who are in contention to be first out of the water. We have we have Taylor Nib, we have Lauren Brandon, Lucy Charles, Barkley, 
Haley Chura, Rachel Zelinkis, um, Rebecca Clark, Pamela Oliveira. Like it could be anyone on the day, right? Yeah, it's, um, and there's some strong bikers amongst that group too. It's very interesting. Um, and I won, you know, like Lucy, Lucy Charles Barkley, her like modus operandi when she gets on the race course is she wants to go hard. And I think she enjoys being out on her own. And I've always wondered like if she went, you know, 2%, you know, save 2% on that swim. Like how would that help her at the end of the race? And you, I wonder if that's something her and her team are talking about, like, you know, see if you can swim with someone you, mm -hmm. she might, I, I think she enjoys biking on her own. And this is, um, there's a different dynamic when you have to start pacing off people, which, uh, just because of her racing style, that's not something she usually does. Um, but it could be an opportunity just to save a few matches for, for later in the day to have that group. Um, so yeah, I mean, when, when you're just one swimmer and one other strong swimmer, it's easier to get away. But like, if I, you know, you know, they all want to be in that in the pointy end of the swim. So I don't think there's going to be much, um, no one's going to be giving an inch to no, no. let anyone get away. So that's yeah. exciting from the go. And we're actually going to be able to see it, you know, like mm -hmm. with, with, because of the, the single, you know, it's their race. We'll be able to watch that dynamic. And a lot um, of times, you know, for people who might not know, like pro contracts have first out of the water bonuses, right? When someone's a super swimmer, that's a very common thing. And it's probably a pretty good bonus at a race like the Ironman World Championships, right? Where it's going to be on TV for sure. Like you're going to get that airtime. So if you see them really going until, you know, till the timing that, like, I think that could definitely be happening. And yeah, yeah. And I agree. Like, I think, you know, I look at someone like, you know, well, any of them really in an standard quote, you know, Ironman race, they're going to swim fast, be out on their own and have a gap to like probably the next person. Right. And so I do wonder if in their mind too, looking at a course like Kona, it's like, should we all work together? Right. And have mm -hmm. a lead pack versus the one person out in front and then, you know, wait for, for everyone to catch. Um, and so I think that could really work in, in their favor. Like I've obviously talked to Haley plenty about it. And when she gets out, you know, she's always just kind of watching and waiting and um, making that kind of, landmark of okay I've gotten to you know 50 miles on my own I've gotten to 60 right and mm -hmm. and seeing but with a pack like that it's like they could they could do some damage right to yeah. to the chase pack so I think that will be really really interesting but we do have no, I think we have our top nine from last year's world nice. championship returning um and I mean that's crazy so we have I mean people are experienced in that you know, they know the race, they know the course, they know the conditions. Um, when you were racing there, what was it like to be a podium contender in the hunt? Like, what kind of things were you looking for on race day? Were you just kind of set in into your plan and trying not to let other things get in the way? How did you execute? Yeah, I didn't, um, I definitely didn't really factor too much about other people as I kind of approached race day um and I think I think the way I saw my previous success on the island as it kind of gave me confidence that I was good in these conditions that I could handle a windy day I could handle a hot day 
Um, so it was confidence from that. But then I always like approached the race like this is, you know, we're starting. Everyone's got a chance today. Like uh, it wasn't as if I thought I had a shoe into the podium. I knew I was going to be fighting for that. But I think there was a confidence in I've seen this island in many conditions and um this is my kind of race I guess in the self-talk that went into it um but I think one the biggest lesson I think those who've raced there a few times is that patience on race day is everything and um you can you know you can not be doing great early on the bike but patience and it's allowing yourself giving yourself the opportunity to like turn the day around rather than like the negative self-talk and I, I think when you know now I'm on the other side and I saw a bit when I was there you can look at your previous results and successes on the island as giving you com it's confidence versus pressure and mm. you see some people actually the pressure is what overtakes any confidence they take from it and I, I I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out um, you know, obviously we have Chelsea who had an incredible race and debut last year in Kona. And, you know, she, it seems like she's fit. She's on the island and I really am gunning for it. So it would be awesome to see her, you know, have another successful day. Um, but again, we, while someone like Annie Haug, she's so consistent. She, the pressure doesn't seem to get to her. She's so patient. She knows she's going to come through. So that's where you see the confidence. And it doesn't seem like she lets the, the pressure impact her. But we haven't seen Chelsea's, the, you know, it's her first time defending the title. And I'm kind of um, interested to see how, how that goes. And um, again, Lucy's someone else. She's like, never count her out. She's so hungry for that title. Um, and then you look at the whole of the, those nine who are who are back and I'm like, oh, Fenella, like, is this going to be the one? I feel like she's bubbling there and she's going to come through with something one of these days, you know, like mm -hmm. something pretty um, special. So, yeah, I'm yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of people who have the opportunity to get onto that podium. And even looking at, you know, as you were saying that having done the race gave you the confidence to be patient, right? That is one of the things if people, if people are racing there and are listening right now, you know, like the patience factor is always huge in Ironman and especially in, in Kona, um, as spectating it now for a handful of years that I have done, like, it's just so clear to watch that last 10 K of the marathon and how the people who have been patient and kind of stuck to their plan all day will, past so many people, age group racing, pro racing, all of that, right. In the last 10 yeah. K and, um, at the pro race with the top 10, Susie Cheatham actually really came to mind as someone who, um, probably knows that more than, than a lot of people there. I mean, Susie's been racing now for many years, many times on the big Island and is consistently, you know, in that top 15, knocking on the door, of that top 10. And like, and she just, you will always see her stick to her race. Right. And then she knows if she can, she runs the way she can. Right. And the way she does, yes. she will yeah. run her way up there. And so it's, it is a race that will reward experience in that sense. And, and like you said, confidence versus kind of succumbing to the pressure. I think that's such a great way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing that can throw a major wrench in that plan of people who rely on their confidence is 
Kona rookies yes. <laughs> coming in and shaking up the tactics of the day. Right. Yeah. So I counted 20 Kona rookies. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure I counted correctly, but about 20 that will be out there on race day. And I'm not sure if that's more, it seems like a lot to me, but I'm not sure if that's more or less than usual, probably more because we have more women racing. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, that's bound to be, you know, I think many of them have probably raced a lot of Ironman already. So they are certain, certainly familiar with the aspect of patience, right. And that, but getting onto the big Island, you know, and a lot of them probably also raced as an Uber on the big Island. So, you know, have some familiarity with it, but it is a different day when you're out at the pointy end of the field. And I think it will be interesting to see like, would, you know, Rachel Zelinskis coming out in that lead group, you know, has confidence high, just one Ironman Montreblanc, um, you know, will she yeah. push the bike and like, you know, give Lucy someone to chase, right? I mean, who knows what could happen? And will that, would that throw Lucy off her day, right? I mean, it could unfold a lot of different ways. And that's, I think the rookie factor is something that I'm looking at that will be an interesting way of looking at the dynamics of things. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you can look at it in two ways with the rookies is that they might shake things up and just like in like just going for broke, you know, and like taking out the bike faster or the swim faster or, um, you know, if, if, if a rookie gets off the bike first, just like going for it. And then what, how does that impact other people behind them? And then also a lot of the times, if, if you haven't been to Kona before, it means you're really on that you know, exponential uh, growth in the sport, you're getting faster. So you see these huge improvements in performance. And so this is where someone can come in and like uh, really shake things up. People haven't really counted them as a contender for the race, but, you know, if you don't care, you're there and you know that you're getting better and they may have just banged the best three months of training they've ever had and know that mm-hmm. they've got something special coming. So um, I think that that brings a really exciting factor to the to the to the day. And also, um, you know, it'll have a scrambling like what is this? You know, we see someone <laughs> in the top three and like, oh, I don't really know much about this one. And then, you know, yeah. Googling them and oh, yeah, they were like a collegiate athlete. Uh, uh-huh have knocked out a 230 marathon or whatever you don't know like you it's a kind of a good fact finding mission during the race yeah that is gonna be that is gonna be interesting because there were definitely names on the start list that I was like I need to do some more research on some of these women um prize money is always a big topic of discussion Rachel and um you know at Ironman World Championships they pay to 15 and quite honestly after like third place it starts declining really sharply Hmm. um do you think and some of this has changed since you you know were racing I mean and part of it is because of work that you were doing um you know you were instrumental in kind of helping PTO get legs and get off the ground and now we're seeing these days the PTO have some amazing opportunities for athletes to be racing maybe not iron distance but you know long course ish right um triathlon and getting paid really well for it and I think we saw a lot of athletes structuring their year around that versus it used to be all about world championships because that was where the money was. So do you think that has kind of played into how people have structured racing and, you know, is it changing kind of the landscape of, of Ironman racing a bit? Yeah, I think it is changing how people, you know, there's a whole new race series that pays very well, that that's a new thing. Um, 
I think I think Kona is Kona and it's still, you know, it has uh or you know, you still saw the big names in Nice for the men. Um I think there's something about that Ironman World Championship and at the moment the PTO racing isn't coming close to that long course. Um I think maybe the PTO is also shaking things up because there's there's a less incentive to move up quickly to the Ironman if you're really great over that distance because it's you can make a very nice living without having to step up quite so quickly. Um, but again, I think Ironman has, you know, has its own special draw in that it the distance and the history of of Kona. And so that's why I think maybe you just see people doing doing more of the PTO races and then just making sure they get their qualification. And I think that's good because especially as you get later in your career, doing a lot of Ironmans is just not is less sustainable in terms of recovery and um, mentally, it's harder to keep going back to the the dark places you you have to dive into during an Ironman. So, um, but like you say, like Kona is a really expensive place to go. And um, if you come, I've come eleventh when they only paid to the top ten, and it's it's kind of a tough place tough, to be. Yeah. Um, I do think like if you, if you're smart, if you if you're lucky to have sponsors and you kind of do wrap up a bonus for qualifying for Kona. So hopefully that helps you at least helps you break even mm-hmm. for getting there. But of course, it's really hard if you, it's not just about that day. It's the amount of effort you put into training to have a good day there, which is um, it's tough when it, it doesn't go your way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I you know, I think for a world championships the the ultimate like goal should be that everyone gets something mm-hmm. it's not it's not possible right now the economics don't work out but you know who knows you know we want to keep growing the sport and i think that's ultimately the would be the goal totally totally and i think it's exciting to see people being more vocal about that now right and a bit more pressure being put on it and um hopefully getting a lot of eyes on the women's race, you know, um, as much as the men's race had a lot of viewers and stuff helps money coming into the sport. And that does help fund prize purses and things like that. So, um, you know, every, everything we do in terms of watching and sharing and all of that information does help, you know, the odds of hopefully getting the 50 women paid. Right. Um, because you're right. I think that is the ultimate goal. If people can stand on a world championship line, coming home with at least knowing it's not a total loss. Right. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And okay. So I'm ready to hear, I think your, your top three podium picks, Rachel, and we'll also pick what we call the dark mare or the wild card. Um, so do you want to lead off with your, with your picks? I've still got like about 10 names to a bigger <laughs> So this is going to be a little bit, um, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants now. Um, so I think Kat Matthews, I think Ooh, this could okay. be her year or I'm going to uh-huh. put her at the top of the podium. There's a bit of a British slant to okay. mine. <laughs> thing and it's really hard but it's not because I don't think anyone else is going to get there but I just this is yeah anyhow I think she had she got the year started absolutely on fire her bike people see her as a runner but she is so strong on the bike too and Mm. if she can like just hold her own on the swim you never count her out and um you know she's 40 I like I like seeing these older women kind of (laughs) 
um, still holding their own against the next generation. And then I'm going to put Lucy in third. Okay. Okay. And who's your, who's your wild card pick? Fenella. Ooh. Okay. All right. Um, so I, we, we have a small overlap. So I picked Annie Haug for the win. Um, yeah. you know, I think I didn't actually realize she's 40, but that does make sense. Um, and I think she has the experience. I think she knows what it takes to perform well there. And I think she set herself up all year to have a good day there. So hopefully that unfolds. Um, I have Chelsea in second. I think that she, you know, has been racing well. And I think, um, I think, you know, just watching her race there last year, I was like, I think she's, one of those people that's like made to race in Kona, right? I yeah. think I think she can do well there. I had um, her at the top of the podium as an option. Okay. <laughs> but I can't have really on the top of the podium. Yeah. It was really hard. I was like, maybe we should do a top five pick. But yeah. my third place is actually going to go to Sarah True. Um, I think yeah. she might have her breakout year finally there. I think yeah. um I think she's in a good spot and and very fit. I've been we train on a lot of the same roads, um, around town here. And so I've been watching what she's been throwing down on those routes. And I think, I think she's fit, um, and ready to go. And she's been knocking at the door a few times. So yeah. hopefully yeah. we'll see her there. And then my dark mare pick is Rachel Zelinskis. Um, Oh, great. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a rookie, she seems to be eager and like ready to kind of fight for it. And, um, yeah, so I think, I think we'll see how that are all unfolds. Um, yeah. I'll have to email you after the race so we can yes, see yeah, yeah. on top there. <laughs> and I have one more fun little thing for us. If you have a few more minutes. So mm. I did just a handful of rapid fire for the Kona version. So for our listeners who are wondering kind of your take, um, on, on how to, on kind of a wide range of things about Kona. So would you rather race there? in the mass start or a wave start as a pro or as an age group as a pro for you just in your race yeah um I think I would even though I probably would benefit from having guys around the purest of me wants a wave start okay. <laughs> well and the mass start was very scary I have to say yes. that was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I know I was like never like, it was like a shark was chasing me in those oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay so the next one do you prefer the climb up to hubby on the bike or running the Polani hill on the run um I think I preferred Polani. Okay. Yeah, that's a the big hill. Everyone who's listening, it's a big hill. <laughs> um, did you did you do the underpants run or did you do would you prefer the Ali drive? Um just run on your own. Uh Ali drive run on yeah. my own. <laughs> Six packs were too intimidating at the the underpants run. <laughs> And in Kona, would you be found eating a poke bowl or an acai bowl or neither? A poke bowl. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that's all I have for you today, Rachel. And I am so thankful you joined me for this. This was a lot of fun and just want to take a minute to, um, to say thank you for everything that you did during your career. Um, you were a phenomenal triathlete, obviously, but you were also a staunch advocate for equality and, a lot of 
what we are going to see um, in the next couple of weeks with the women's only world championship is because of hard work that you put in um, for people who have been listening for a long time, like since 2015, um, that was an era where we were trying to speak out and had been working for equality at the world championship. And, um, and a lot of the top racers in that time were silent about it and you weren't. And it was very, very impactful to me as an athlete and to a lot of women, I think, to see you speak out and to not be silent and to not be afraid of, you know, what our imaginations could have convinced us could be happening, right, if we weren't silent. So I did want to kind of publicly thank you for all of that work, because I think it's fun to see it kind of come full circle that we get to watch this day unfold for the women in Kona this year. And it's just, it's really meaningful for me. And you were a huge catalyst in, you know, the work that I was motivated to do. So yeah. thank you. Well, well, thank thank you for having me on. And it's really like, you were such a driver of that, Alyssa, like with your 50 women to Kona. I was actually cleaning out a drawer and I got all the tattoos. I found like a few of the tattoos <laughs> left. And I was like, man, this, it took a while, but um, it was, it was even though it was a hard time it was a really special time because like mm. a few of us really did come together and I think we found a real community of uh, of people who cared too which was really really great and so I'm kind of like maybe I'll be googling tickets to Kona <laughs> I know I know I actually get to see it because I've been you know I haven't been there for some years but um just have the best time out there and yeah thanks for and all the you know, Sarah will be out there. Like there was yeah. that group of us. So um, yeah, it was, even though at the time it felt, you know, it's never easy to speak. It's not, doesn't necessarily make life comfortable, but I actually think very fondly of that time mm -hmm. for like um, what it, you know, how we work together to kind of have those campaigns and yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it did teach me a lot about what you can do because it was, you know, well pre-pandemic, we were all virtually connecting, right? And figuring out mm -hmm. how to do a lot of that and to like create a movement um, with everyone spread so far apart, but just believing in that one common goal, I think yeah. really did set the stage for a lot of other things just in life yeah. that, that are possible. I mean, if we, were, if we were like so minded, like I could pull out up some emails, which gave me all the arguments of why it wasn't possible. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> Is not big enough. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Downgrading the women's field. I'm just like, oh, okay. But like, we'll we'll rise above. I know. <laughs> I know. It's. I mean, I think people now like would not believe what was being taken um, at that point, and yeah. um, you know, uh, we made it to the other side successfully, and yeah. it is like all is well that ends well, but it is a little tongue in cheek. Um, and if you do end up finding a flight out there, let us know. I'm sure yeah. I'd love to. Love I'll to carry speak. your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, because that, that is a main concern in Kona on the crutches. Yeah. Like how am or, I or your Pokeball or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Rachel. It's been really fun and can't wait to all. Now I'm going to be watching and um, emailing you right afterwards to, to see who kind of whose picks came out better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got it written down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a great time. And, th and thanks for having me on.
You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.